And now it's time for the TOT cast with your hosts, Chris O'Kranitz and Ryan Greco. And welcome everyone to this edition of the TOT cast. My name is Ryan Greco. Of course, I'm being joined by Chris O'Kranitz. Chris, it's been a while since we've gotten together and gotten this done. It has been quite a while, but you know what? It's good to be back. We've had a, what, a, like a two-week vacation, three-week vacation Honestly, in this? It's yeah. been a while, so it's good to be back and doing it all again. Of um, course. It's nice to talk about the Raptors, who set a new franchise record tonight with their 50th win. So, surpassing last season's total of 49. Absolutely. They, nice they, they, unlike us with this podcast, they have not taken any time off whatsoever. Thankfully. I mean, there is a player <laughs> there that could probably use some time off pretty soon, which oh, is absolutely. Kyle Lowry. That's been a... <laughs> A bit of a scare. It's kind of terrifying to think that they might have a injured Kyle Lowry or possibly no Kyle Lowry for the playoffs. Absolutely. And it just, uh, you know, you were discussing this when we were watching the game earlier tonight, uh, how interesting you thought it was of the fact that, you know, Coach Casey is still considering to play Lowry despite these now, all the, these reports of injuries now surfacing. Well, yeah, they're kind of meaningless games too, right? These regular season games, like, there's like, what, nine left? I I totally understand the whole idea of cracking 50 wins and setting a new franchise record. That's important and all that. Yep. But they could have managed Lowry's minutes a little bit better tonight, in my opinion. It's that's it's really nitpicking. And the only reason why I think it's became such a more prominent issue and talked about is obviously he's their most important player. So the injury is a big thing because he's pivotal to them. But he's also played the second most minutes in the NBA this season. And since January 15th, the first game they said he was hurt, mm-hmm. he's played the most minutes in the NBA since that day. So since he got hurt, he has played the most minutes in the NBA. So that's why it's kind of like, okay, why don't you peel back a bit and let him rest? What? Like, let him play like maybe like 30 minutes a night? If, if he's going to play, because he clearly wants to play. Yeah. Cap it like 30. Yeah, absolutely. These, these games are not that important. And if surpassing the Cavs is something that's adamant on their goal list, play him. But I would not go all the way with it. And I'm glad you brought that up because you, uh, you uh, showed me a very interesting stat uh, earlier tonight about the Raptors' home record, and there might and it might actually play into one of the reasons why they're giving Lowry as many minutes as they have, besides the 51 total mark, and that's uh, how well they've been performing on the home floor this season. Well, since January 1st, there's only been two teams that have had better home records than the Raptors. That's obviously the two undefeateds, which is the Warriors <laughs> and the Spurs. Yeah, They are the NBA, and then there's everybody else. But sitting right behind them is the Raptors. They're 18-4 and four at home, and... That's pretty damn good. So Absolutely. I can kind of see why they're gunning for home court advantage throughout the East. Yep. But at the same time, it, it doesn't. It's all null and void without Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Like as much as I do think Demar Derozan is going to have to step up and kind of become the star in the playoffs mm-hmm. and relieve some more weight from Lowry. Lowry's just he makes this team go. Yeah. Like he's the engine to all of this, right? So they need him. Of course. And let's be hypothetical just for a quick second before we move on. Um, you know. Eventually, this Raptors team, we all saw it from the beginning. This was a team that was being built to try and combat LeBron James and the Cavaliers. Mm-hmm. And how bad is it really, though, for them to finish second at the expense of Lowry getting some rest? Because at the end of the day, the Raptors have actually had some pretty um, respectable success in Cleveland whenever they've gone to face them. I think they could give Cleveland six or seven games. The, the thing with resting Lowry, too, that it doesn't hurt, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Casey referred to it as Bursa a couple days ago. I believe it was Tuesday after practice. He said that uh, it's bursitis on his elbow. So it's basically bursitis. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm a doctor and I know everything <laughs> that's going on with bursitis. I know people that have had bursitis before and it, it just doesn't simply go away overnight, right? Like it takes rest. You're basically draining fluid from your elbow. It's like a, yep. a sack of fluid that sits in your elbow. 
how's that going to get any better if Lowry keeps playing, right? I mean, it wouldn't hurt to rest him. And sometimes Bersai's can go south. Like, you look at Blake Griffin. He had to get surgery to remove it. Yeah. And he's missed significant time. Yeah. Obviously, Lowry's not heading down the same path of surgery. Mm-hmm. But who knows if from the wear and tear if it could develop into something worse. I think this team can definitely compete with the Cavs again, to what you were saying. Tamari mm-hmm. Carroll would obviously be nice to have back. Of That's course. a whole other question mark. It is, it is. Because the only way you beat the Cavs is by stopping LeBron. Mm-hmm. But Lowry is, I, I hate to keep repeating myself, but he is that damn important to this team. He absolutely is. And, and you know what? It's it's scary to think of a Raptors team without DeMar DeRozan or Kyle Lowry. Either Terrifying. one of them. It, it is. And in my personal opinion, though, I mean, I still think this team, even if they lost DeRozan or Lowry, would still have, they still have the makeup to be able to get by the first round, which is the big thing all the fans are worried about, right? Yeah. And it just, I mean, this is just a better overall team than what we saw last year. Significantly better. So. And it shows on the court. The only weakness they still have, and it's it's been an issue all year, is defending the perimeter. And we kind of saw that watching them play the Hawks a bit tonight. They're up by 24, and they slice that lead in a hurry, and it's a three ball, right? The Hawks yeah. live and die off of it a little bit, mm-hmm. and when they get hot, they get hot. So, But the Raptors have allowed a lot of teams to, quote-unquote, get hot from the perimeter. That's an issue for them. And that's what Damari Carroll was originally here for, to help guard that perimeter that he, unfortunately, hasn't been able to do for most of this season. Yeah, DM3, right? That was his whole thing there. Um, whether he comes back or not. Who knows? He said that the reports of his season being over are premature and it's just (laughs) speculation. What else is he going to say? Is he going to come on and be like, my season's done? Especially after the money they just dropped on him. Yeah, and the money that they dropped on him, though, is another interesting point. He's a $15 million investment, right, for four years? Yep. The word investment is important there. There's four more years with him. Mm -hmm. Well, three. But do you want to burn potentially... A long-term injury, like something that's going to linger around for, what, a couple games, maybe a playoff run? I don't know. It's a fair question. Like, Norman Powell's playing pretty well. Yeah, can they Can they win with him? I don't know. What, I, yeah, what are your I, thoughts I, on Norman Powell? I think he's played extremely well right now. The three, he's kind of provided depth to a position that was a question mark. After Damari Carroll, it was like, okay, we got Terrence Ross. Another mm. huge investment. Well, not necessarily a huge investment, they but looking looking at the the numbers, you know, compared to I know you know the salary cap obviously yeah, with the cap increasing, his numbers that. aren't that bad exactly. But it's like you know, and like you said earlier, they made an even bigger investment on Demari Carroll. So that's two guys they got at the three who they've thrown a considerable amount of money at, and then here comes this rookie that I mean, oh, he's a steal, and he was a great player at UCLA too. He wasn't superstar, but he was. More than more than worthy of being an NBA draft pick. A lot of mocks before the draft had him in the late first round. Mm-hmm. And from the slip to the Raptors where he was, was fantastic. And it's showing dividends, right? Yep. And, I mean, I had an opportunity to watch him play up close at the uh, the Raptors 905 at the Hershey Center. I, had a, uh, I, was, I was sitting courtside and watching these guys play. And, I mean, his understanding of the game. And even just taking a look at how he's interacting with not just his teammates, but his coaching staff. Asking the right questions. A very coachable, very approachable guy. When he's making mistakes, he's not getting frustrated. He looks like he's in the zone. He's the kind of kid that just just by watching him play live, looks like the kind of guy that he knows what he needs to do to get to the next level. Driven. I think driven is the best word I could I could well, use to describe him. He's the anti-Anthony Bennett. He's what Anthony Bennett should have been, to be quite honest. Mm. Because when Norman Powell got sent down to the D-League, he almost took that personal. And if you go look at his trajectory this season, you follow his path. Yeah. When he went to the D-League, it was kind of like, okay. When he came back up, did he go back down? 
No, nope. he took advantage of that opportunity. He he literally took the D League as a personal thing. Yep. learned from it, made himself better, and he's stuck with the Raptors ever since. Yep, and, and he he's been the it. most impressive rookie. He killed it in the D League. There was yeah. a couple of games there. He was out. He was getting 25, 26, 32 points. But not just that, just the rebounds, the assists, the athleticism he's been showing, and it's just as you said. Once he he t- he took it as an opportunity to learn. And he's taking full advantage of it now with his opportunities for playing time on the big club. Yeah, he's super athletic guy off the wing too, and his defense is not Damari Carroll's level, but it's more than serviceable. Mm-hmm. Obviously, in the playoffs, it's a bigger stage. He's a rookie. There's going to be those rookie mistakes that, yep. if you're the Raptors, can you live with that? Can you afford to play with that in the playoffs? That's that's a big question mark. You see some nights now. Even there's a couple games ago, he he has moments where you're like, ah oh, man, but that's just a rookie being a rookie. Like, exactly. And it's like you the the one thing that you can always trust with him is the fact that when he makes that mistakes, he's the first guy back on the other end of the floor ready to defend. He's gonna he's gonna make aggressive mistakes, I guess is the best way I could put it. At times, yeah. Some other times it's just let's face it, the NBA is a big learning curve in your first year. Absolutely. Everything's different. It's it's not like a huge jump like a football or a verbiage and a whole bunch of things are changing. But the speed of the game, the athleticism of these players, the way that they're gonna set you up, especially on the offensive end, like the jab step is not always going to be used in a certain way that it was in college to kind of create a, a just to go, get your hips to turn so I can blow by you on your left side. It, it's just a lot more technical things to the game that you probably don't realize until you actually watch yourself on film and break it down and go, I didn't even know I had that tendency. Mm-hmm. So that's a big adjustment in the NBA, and I think that's something that he's definitely probably learned throughout this season. I kind of want to circle back to Damari Carroll, though, and get your thoughts right on... <laughs> <laughs> circle wherever him, you like. Him trying to play hurt, or I guess... Wanting to come back and play, and obviously he's not going to be 100%. He won't be another 100% for the rest of the season. I kind of find that admirable, though, in the sense that he knows how big this contract is. He's the highest paid player in the Raptors this year. Yep. That'll change next year when DeRozan signs a max deal. Yeah, of course. But for him to actually want to come back and play through it, a lot of guys could probably just shut it down and be like, you know, my season's over. I'm just going to come back healthy, you know. They invest a lot of money in me, uh, the whole, all that, all that cliche stuff. But yeah. for him to want to come back, I think it kind of shows how much of a good understanding he has of how important he is to this team. Mm-hmm. And to be quite honest, his contract. Yeah. Like I feel like there's a lot of pride there, and it's something I just find interesting. And you know what? It, it's it's true as well. But if you he look wants at the to makeup, deliver. and you look at the makeup of where he was coming from as well, he just came from a team that finished first in the East last year. He know he he knows he he those kind of expectations he he's been on successful franchises before yep. he sees what's happening here and to your point I think it's just a matter of him really understanding the moment realizing that you know he may not only he may only get so many so many chances at this and he wants to try and take full advantage while he can because you know what also to another point I don't know if the East is going to be this. Uh, I don't know. Well, that could change. That's it, right? Like, you very know, quickly. Exactly. I think a kind of outside-the-box theory with Damari wanting to come back, I think he kind of feels like he might owe Masai something. Because when he first got in the league and he had that trial run with Denver way back mm-hmm. when, Masai cut him. Yep. And that might have been the best thing for him because he ended up going to run the league for a bit, went to Atlanta, and then became this. And then Masai obviously rewarded him this past offseason with this monster deal. Yeah. So I kind of feel like he kind of has a... I don't want to say like he owes him, but he just holds Masai close to him that he feels like, you know what, this is a guy that I, I want to make him proud. I want to live up to what he thinks I'm worth. I just find him as like a very prideful guy. But can he contribute in the playoffs if he was to come and play? I think that's an even bigger question mark. There's a lot of rust to shake off. You can't emulate game speed or playoff speed in practice. 
minutes. It's just where there's a lot of question marks. And you know what? I think he could. I think he definitely could bring something to the table because at the end of the day, he is an NBA veteran. He's been around the way. Oh yeah. To your point, obviously you can't you can't imitate the the game speed, but he's more familiar with it than say Norman Powell. I'd agree. How would you manage your minutes though if uh, if you were to do it going forward? Let's let's say playoffs because the regular season is pretty much done. Yeah. Playoff wise, would you start Norman Powell and bring Carroll off the bench, or would you start Carroll and have a shorter leash and bring Powell off the bench? Well, that's very interesting you bring that up because I think right now. I think Powell's earned that start. Um, I think you could also, and, and, and that's it, right? I, you you could start him and keep him on a short leash. I, if, if, if I had that choice, I would say start Powell. But if you see that he's making one too many mistakes and you put in Carroll, I mean, at the same time, that could also light a little fire under Carroll. Or you could even do the opposite. You start Carroll, yeah. give Powell a reason to stay motivated and stay focused. And you know, at the same time, actually... I'm going to flip-flop on that. I would actually rather start Carroll. And the, re- and the main reason is this. Allowing Norman Powell to kind of take a back seat, see how it all is soaking in to be in a playoff atmosphere, especially one like the ACC. Get a kind of feel for the flow and tempo of the game, then bring him in, manage his minutes, let him be effective in his spurts because he's going to be jacked up. Yeah. And he's going to need to be able to know what he's going to be doing and what the flow of the game is himself. A guy like Damari Carroll, he's been there. He's done it. He's seen it. He knows what to expect. Or even a guy like Terrence Ross, who comes, who could come in off the bench or even start in certain situations because he's another option you could if you needed to start at the three. Oh, yeah. Right? And and he's a guy who's arguably a more gifted offensively than either of those other two guys. Well, I do Defensively, think, I, I mean, know. well, Powell's had some – he's had some good moments, especially chemistry-wise – with guys like Scola, mm-hmm. Biombo, like some second unit guys, right? I think that's definitely got to be taken into consideration here because the Raptors kind of do run two units. Mm-hmm. They don't really rotate guys in as much as they have in the past in the beginning of the season. It's kind of set in stone who's going where, what their roles are now, which is a good thing in my opinion. Hanging Absolutely. Out Everyone knows what to expect. Everyone knows what situation they're going to be in. And there's enough veterans on this team that if you need to mix and match on the fly, they're going to be capable to handle that and know what they need to do. Yeah, I'd hope so. They'd identify it a lot quicker than you would expect from most players. Well, the thing is, is Carroll was played at the four a little bit this year, right? When they yes. played the small ball. That's right. You think he'd still play that come playoff time? Um, it, well, that entirely depends on who they're facing. Right. I, I'm curious how they would use him. I could even see them going like really small and going Biombo, Carroll, Powell, DeRozan, Lowry. Like I, I could see them even going that small on and some teams. And that's a pretty athletic lineup too, though. Yeah, right? well, that's what the league is now, right? It's yeah. very athletic. And even if they wanted to bang it up a bit, they could even, what, bring him JV, Patterson, Carroll. That's decent size up front. Yep. Then you could go... Lowry Joseph or Lowry DeRozan. There's a lot of different combinations you could run with this team that when you look at it like metrics-wise, if you want to really get into the numbers, mm-hmm. that will work. Yeah. So I, I think it's an interesting element of where you play Carroll. I just, exactly. That, well, that's a big if, if he comes back, right? But I think just for like talking sake, it's something to think about how he would actually fit into this team going forward. It is. And you know what? The nice thing, though, is I know I've got – Full confidence in Coach Casey being able to manage those lineups accordingly. Even if, and I, I already know, if, you know, you you would know as well for a fact that the addition of Carroll is only going to make it easier for him in a sense. Well, I think he could look at that all those options in his mind. He'll just be thinking, "Great, I've got another quality player on my bench now that I could use." I think there's only one thing on Casey's mind come playoff time: coach for my job. Yeah, because whether whether we like to admit it or not, <laughs> if they get bounced in the first round again after setting a new franchise record for wins. 
without Damari Carroll and seeing Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan evolve into this fantastic one-two punch, yep. all-star game. This, it's been a great season for the Raptors. Absolutely. Like, even the home fans have been spoiled with all the wins we've had at home. Yep. They've never if, had this kind of shine around the league. If they ever. go one and out, he's gone. So I think he's honestly coaching for his job this playoffs. And I hate to say that for a team that's like, I feel like he's getting the Marty Schottenheimer treatment here where <laughs> Marty went 14-2 and two in San Diego and got fired for losing the first round. But he's kind of on that path. And that's what it really comes down to. Everyone's been saying this now for two seasons. Wake me up when the playoffs start. For all of the great stuff that's been happening. And you know what? I wasn't expecting the Raptors to have such a great year. I wasn't expecting all this fanfare to happen. It was great, you know, the idea of the 2016 All-Star. But to see this team do as well as they have. And to see how well they did, including all the fanfare that was happening back in February. And to seeing how they've continued to con- to push and continue to play well after the All-Star break. Like you said, it would just be... It, this has actually been... Probably the best season for any Raptors fan. And, and and you know what? And people want to enjoy it. You see that people are enjoying it. They're enjoying the discussion that's going on around the league about them. Even though it's still considered a little small compared to the rest of the stuff that's going on. Because, I mean, this is still a history-making season nonetheless. Oh, yeah. But it's, you know, it, it, like you said, it would be sad to see him go if he couldn't get the job done right away. But is it not fair? Like, is he not coaching for his job this playoffs? It's it's a fair. It's fair to say because at the end of the day, they have to win in the playoffs for him to show any of the real results that It's a bottom line business. Yep. Uh, Sports is cutthroat in that nature. And it's not just the NBA. People will bag the NBA for saying, oh, well, you know, it's only about these one or two teams. But you know what? That works for every single sport, right? It's... (laughs) Look at Bruce Boudreaux. How many years did he uh, lead the Washington uh, Capitals to the top of the East to get bounced in the first or second round? It's the same idea. It doesn't matter what's and to your to your uh, point with San Diego. With San Diego, it just doesn't matter. You got to win when it counts. Yeah, there's a lot of things that go on behind closed doors there too. But for Casey, you just can't get eliminated again in the first round. No, not at all. This team is too good for that. I but, okay, but here, if you let go of Casey. Is there really good candidates out there to potentially replace him? I know this is looking way down the road, but I mean, like, yeah, guys like Scott Brooks. <laughs> I don't really think they're much better. That's that's the other thing. Is it's like if they do get bounced in the first round, let's just say there's nobody better than Casey available. Yeah, do I, I don't him? see. I don't see. Do them, you fire uh, him just because they didn't <laughs> get out of the first round? I, I certainly don't see them uh, ringing uh, Byron Scott or Mike Brown's number anytime soon. <laughs> no, no, no. That's yeah, like. Yeah, it's a good point. Who That's do you, the thing. Who do you Sometimes, replace him if with? there's nobody better, it's, it's the same reason with uh, Demar Derozan. There, that was an actual discussion earlier this year. Do we really want to give him max money? Is he really worth it? And you yeah, go, he is. Well, who are you replacing him with? Yeah, there's nobody out there that could replace him with. You know, it's the exact same argument. And he's going to get his max money, by the way, from Toronto. Oh, especially after all he's done so far this year is prove it. And with the cap quite up, they can still add more players around him. Not not a lot, but enough. And like. There's some ways that they can manage a cap to potentially get another superstar here. So I wouldn't be too concerned about it. He loves Toronto. All this crap about Brooklyn and the Lakers. Why do I want to go play in these bottom feeder teams that are, quite frankly, going nowhere? Yep. Unless they get X, Y, and Z. That's a lot of variables to go throw in there of things that have to go right for these teams to be competitive. When I'm already on a competitive team in Toronto that's a legit top three team in the East for the next, I'd say, three years. Yes. Because you look at the East... LeBron's getting older. Dwayne Wade is on his way out. He's getting older as well, and they're not as fearsome anymore. They have cap issues in Miami. What are they going to do with Whiteside? Are they going to max Whiteside out? 
And then you got other teams that are coming up, like the Pistons are doing good things. The Bulls are, ah, they're kind of Jekyll and Hyde. You see moments where you're like, okay, this is the old Bulls team that was really good. Then you see them other nights, and you're like, they're a mess. Yeah. And they can chalk up injuries. Derek Rose this. Derek Rose, wake me up when he actually does something. <laughs> I really don't care yeah, anymore to hear it. Like Honestly. He's a once <laughs> a has-been in that regard, in my opinion now. Like He's still athletic as hell, but he hasn't done anything on the yep. court in a while to earn the same stripes. With the Pacers, Paul George, and then what? They're still looking for that, right? There's a lot of teams searching for answers, even the Hawks. Al Horford's in a contract year. Mm-hmm. So when you look at the East, the Raptors are actually in a very good position to su- sustain success. Yeah. They're, uh, their biggest threat, really, to their spot right now is the Celtics. And that's a team, yep. barring the odd night, is a team they can still handily beat. And they've got that... Men- you can make the argument, they have that mental edge over them. Yeah, well, and they got cap space, too. So they can go out and get another big free that's agent true. if they really need they, to. Uh, yeah, and they are the Boston Celtics at the end of the day. And I know people are going to say, well, like Knicks and other teams, they have lots of cap space, too. They're depleted assets. And you're basically hoping to God that a Durant... Uh, you, yeah, it's, maybe LeBron if he like opts out and does a F U to Cleveland part two. <laughs> but that's a big, big if. I yeah, mean, that would, these are gigantic ifs to take the Raptors out of a top three scenario. So I think people need to calm down and realize that we actually have a pretty damn good team. Absolutely, and I think you know going back to uh, my my uh, time at that Raptors nine oh five game. Um, <laughs> You know, I'm sitting. I'm sitting at the. I'm sitting at uh, in my seat at the court, and I gaze across the court at around the second quarter, and who do I see? But Demar Derozan, front court in the Hershey Center, watching a D League game, cheering on some of his would be teammates he that would end up being on the team. Now, I don't know. I can't speak for any other league. I can't speak, or sorry, any other team or anything like that. But how much of a company company man are you? Especially in a, a league like the NBA, where you're showing up to the D League games and you're staying there for the entire game, cheering on the younger guys. I don't. Re- Los Angeles has a team in the D League. You could never imagine even someone like someone like a Kobe Bryant. But I'm, I'm trying to even think of someone who's even lesser than that during those days, like a Derek Fisher or whoever. Any of those guys ever showing up to one of the D League games to cheer on some of those younger guys. Where could you ever imagine something like that? Yeah, I mean, and just seeing that, just just seeing that kind of camaraderie you're seeing with these guys, and then to my right, to the to my right is James Johnson. Same thing, there cheering on some of these guys that they see coming up and down, and it just shows you, you know. And once again, that's a kudos to GM Messiah Jerry as well. The way that he's been able to construct this team, putting as much importance on the kind of character these guys are, as opposed to what they just bring to the floor in a basketball sense. Well, he's mentioned that numerous times, right? That he wants character guys. As exactly. Well. And to kind of go back to the Lakers, why they wouldn't be at the D League game? That's because their whole roster, except for Kobe, should be in the D League. <laughs> That's why nobody's there. <laughs> well, <laughs> they got nobody else to to go watch the game, so they go and be like, "Shit, I'm going to be here next year." Oh, That's man. the problem with the Lakers, man. Oh man, Albatross. I'm sure Byron Scott wants to suit up and go play with these guys. Honestly, because <laughs> it's, it's bad to watch right now. Then you got the whole. Tape gate thing. Yeah, D'Angelo Russell. My goodness, I'm not even gonna go down that rabbit hole. No, it's it's not worth it right now. Maybe maybe another podcast, but <laughs> yeah. But I I agree with you on the whole camaraderie and this team is just different. Yep. And I hate to say like that cliche. They're different. They're different. They just are. It's like sometimes when you go watch a player and you're scouting them and yeah. they have the it factor, and that's just the this guy's special. Yeah. There's certain things that you can't put words towards of how good they are. 
Yeah. This Raptors team has that it factor. And I'll just last thing I leave on, keep in mind, folks, that was a Thursday night. These guys could have been anywhere in the city of Toronto, and it was a warm night too. This is a beautiful city. They could have been <laughs> anywhere, but the star of the team was there. Just take that in. Well, I think that's an underrated thing too is how beautiful this city is because you listen to some other syndicate radio stations. Let's use uh, Colin Coward and his radio station, and they brought up how DeMar DeRozan to L.A. is a real thing. You know, he's more marketable in L.A. Like, is he really that marketable in Toronto? Yes, he is. Because the problem with a lot of Americans they don't realize is they get really ignorant sometimes. They do. And they don't realize that Toronto is actually the third biggest city in North America. Yep. It's a really great place to play. And it's funny because the reason why I don't think Cowherd believed that too much because he always brings that up. How great Toronto is, their biggest city, all this, that, the other. He always he always pumps Toronto's tires because he loves it. But I think a lot of the other talk, too, on the other side is that he still works in L.A. Mm-hmm. His money, his ratings, everything will go up when the Lakers are good. When certain teams are good, it's like it's like the Leafs in Toronto. Absolutely. When the Leafs are good, you talk Leafs, whoop, everything goes way up. Yep. So I kind of understand that side of the coin, too. But other places around, I guess, North American media that I don't want to say knock Toronto – but don't understand why a guy would want to sign a max deal here sometimes. Look around. Even look at the cover of Slam Magazine that was released yesterday. Absolutely, yeah. It's DeMar DeRozan, Kyle Lowry, and Drake on the front cover. Six gods. It's, it's The city is just it's just changing in the way you look at sports and the lexicon and the way people talk about it, to be honest. It's, it's all changing. And not only that, I mean, if they didn't see the kind of fandom and, and rabid rabidness of this fan base for any of its sports look no further than the toronto blue jays playoff run oh yeah look no further than any time now and and this was a big topic of discussion when they faced brooklyn that first and their first uh, playoff run their first real playoff run larry larry and, uh, and and derozan had as a tandem and guys around the league are going you know oh my god like the difference between toronto and brooklyn is night and day well it's funny because guys around the league were saying that but if you listen to older players like let's use jalen rose for example he makes it no secret that players around the league have always loved Toronto. They love this yep. city. There's a lot of reasons why they do and a lot of uh, great things around here. Of course. But they've always liked it. Some like it so much that they even punch out their trainers at Soto Soto, Blake Griffin. But that's a whole other thing. Yep. Apparently we are uh, – we're just, we're just that uh, interesting of a place now where all this stuff is. is just going down. It really is though. It's kind of like a mini New York. It is. No, but it is, and, and anyone who's been to this city can can tell you. They can attest to that. They're, they don't have many arguments against it. No. All right. Even look at some of the talent coming out of here. You know what? Let's change gears a bit, and let's talk about some of this talent ah, coming out of favorite, here. My favorite. The one I've been waiting for all <laughs> night. <laughs> Obviously, March Madness is going on. Yes. This year, there's not as many Canadians as previous years. That Last year, there was about 28, give or take. This year, there's 20. Yep. Anybody that's really impressing you aside from Dylan Brooks? Well, he's the, been the most impressive. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But uh, I, I think the nice thing about it is that, interestingly enough, even though there's not as many Canadians in the March Madness, the guys that we have are making bigger headlines. They're making bigger splashes, whether it's for the better or worse. Sorry, Coach K, but it's just <laughs> you know the kind of way things go, I suppose. And uh, I, definitely there's um, the, the two guys that I'm... I mean, I was impressed with in their term, their tournament uh, play was obviously Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray, compared to his entire season, slightly underwhelming. I think you could say uh, a disappointing exit early for Kentucky. I, they I don't got think a tough draw, man. They, like, well, they did, they did. But it's you know, it's a, a lot of you know casual fans can look at that. Well, it's Kentucky, but at the same time, anyone who saw them play through the regular season, you know, they were not the invincible Kentucky they were last year, right? No. 
And um, uh, but another kid that who made a bit of a splash today as well, Stefan Yankovic, the Hawaii kid, the Hawaii junior. Yeah, he's from Mississauga. Mississauga kid. He he had quite he had quite the the tournament. He actually was able to lead Hawaii to their first ever tournament win. Yeah, nice little upset. That's well. right. Sixteen points, five rebounds against California. And right after that, turns around and decides that he's going to declare for the NBA draft, which was <laughs> odd, given the fact that he didn't necessarily have to go and junior. hire an agent. He could have waited. First, yeah, first of all, he's a junior. Second of all, he he didn't have to hire an agent right away. He could have went to the draft combine, tested the waters, and then decided. I I've never met somebody who's I've never met somebody so quickly to get in a hurry out of Hawaii. Yeah. It's a nice school. <laughs> Honestly, I, I've nice never, place. It's cool. <laughs> it's like, I, you know, I, I love these the surf and the sands and the beaches and, and all that stuff. You know what? No, I think, you know, I'm the 78th ranked sophomore in, in, this, in, the, in, the, in the States right now, but I'm going to go and declare anyway. Well, so, he, I mean, I don't know. He definitely got a draft evaluation from somebody. Yes. Albeit the agent that he signed with or coach. Somebody has told him that you could be a potential draft pick, and he never, and he's he's never going to get any more exposure than what he's gotten right now. Yeah, he's kind of striking when the iron's hot, and exactly. a lot of these guys will do that. Yeah, which makes sense. Like you got to sometimes you just got to go, and I think Jamal Murray will leave as well for similar reasons. He's got yeah. nothing, else, nothing else to prove, right? He, he doesn't. He, like, he's he's done everything he needed to yeah, do. Yeah, he, he was hot and cold at times, but I'll, I'll use this as an example too. When you want to like comp Jankovic here, look at Dylan Ennis. He uh, he was. Yeah. <laughs> He was a key cog in what Villanova did last year. This mm-hmm. year at Oregon, he broke his foot only two games into the season, which is unfortunate and unlucky, to be honest. But at the same time, it kind of gives you a little bit of perspective into the other side of the argument for guys declaring early, where you just never know when injuries could happen. There's always that unknown factor that can, quite frankly, derail what you're doing. So for as much as people can knock Jankovic for leaving early and say he's not ready... Perhaps this is the highest his draft stock will ever be, and this could be a smart decision. Of course, injuries can happen to any player. But when you look at a guy like Jankovic, maybe this is the highest his draft stock will ever be. So leaving might not be a bad choice for him. To go back to Ennis, though, he did request a sixth-year eligibility. So if NCAA grants him that, he'll get to play a sixth season at uh, Oregon next year. And and who knows? In Dana Altman's system, which is pretty up-tempo, push the ball, shoot some threes... Uh, he could probably regenerate some of his lost value and make himself into another NBA draft pick. But just when you compare him to, let's say, Jankovic, there's always that what if that lingers and the injury. I, <laughs> Ennis did not expect to get hurt this year. Nobody expects to get hurt in a season. And it's unfortunate, but that is the other side of the coin as to why some guys declare early. And, and you know what, though? I think it's it's an important lesson for any of these college kids that have this decision to make is if you're going to make a decision to stay behind or even go ahead, you have to be able to understand what's going to be expected of you, especially if you're transferring to another school, not what you should be expecting of them. That's not how it works in the college basketball universe. Even the very top prospects, you still have to remember at the end of the day, the coaches, especially at these big programs, have the final say. They wield the ultimate power. Well, there can be a lot of luring done and uh, recruiting of as well of you know and, come and here i'll play you a lot of broken promises and stuff that don't yep. come true but they got to understand that though this guy coach x from big d1 school he's been here for 20 25 years he's not going to lose his job over you 
No. And you've got to, and you know what? It's tough to expect kids to have 18, 19 year old kids to have this kind of wisdom. It's almost kind of beyond their years, especially if they've been touted and the way they've been, they, that some of these kids have been touted from as young as 13, 12 years old. It's tough for them to be able to expect them to have that kind of foresight, even from their parents or the people around them. But you kind of have to be that cognizant if you're going to be successful in this game. Because at the end of the day, unless you're LeBron James, unless you're Kobe Bryant, unless you're you're even a Carmelo Anthony or a Ben Simmons, even Ben Simmons didn't necessarily have the, the foresight to see what's kind of happened to him. But that's a different story. Unless you have that mega level talent where you know you're going to be a top five pick no matter what you do in college or in high school, it's it's so important. It's so important to... Soak everything in around you and try and be as cognizant of what's going on around you as you possibly can. I'd agree. So it, it's, and that's, and that's, once again, that's just something that some kids will understand it and some just won't. Yeah. But I, one thing I will say though, is that I've been, I've been always impressed from the time that we, you and I have been watching Jamal Murray for the past, I'd say about what, year and a half now? That he has been, he seems to have been one of those kind of kids that even though he's, he didn't have like an amazing or crazy blowout year, but he's done enough and he's been cognizant, I think you can say enough to understand what's going on around him, to put himself in such a position, whether it was in the Pan Am games, whether it was the World Hoop Summit, just having that kind of, not just confidence in himself, but also just understanding what he needed to do to get to the next level. And it's something to be admired, and I think it's a path that a lot of kids should consider because this was not a kid that was being touted from 14, 15 years old that he was going to be, you know, what he is today. Well, he kind of blew up, right? Exactly. Like, he had, like, his coming out, and then... There were guys... I mean, there's been... How many times were there guys that we went to go... You know, everyone's there to go watch Thon Maker, mm-hmm. and they come away going, Jamal Murray, we need that kid. Which made a lot of sense. Right? Like, if you, anyone who'd watch them play together, you sit there, and it's like... Look at how this kid is setting everybody up. Yeah. He had Jalen Poyser on his team, who's now UNLV. He's got Thonmaker, who at some point he's going to be a top, he's still he's highly touted right now. He's had all these good players around him, but the way that he was able to elevate above all of these guys, when he was almost necessarily a no-name at the time, it's just a very impressive thing. So, And also one last uh, uh, interesting little fact about the NCAA March Madness. I'm officially now, Chris, an Oklahoma fan. Do you want to know why? <laughs> Why? It's definitely not for Buddy Heald. It is because Benjul Walker is the final Canadian in the tournament, and he is playing for the Oklahoma Sooners, averaging one minute a game. So, Boomer Sooner. Walker, from me to you, go get him. Do it for your country. (laughs) Do it for your country, brother. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I guess Boomer Sooner, right? Boomer Sooner, baby. That'll work. <laughs> they've had two. They've had one other Canadian. I mean, they've had Ryan Wright. I know that. That's, I'm sure there's oh, probably been one that slipped through there that yeah. I could probably look up. But it's a it's it's a good thing. But yeah, shout out to Ryan Wright, the Crown League alumni. Maybe we'll get a chance to see him in the Crown League again this year. I'd put a hefty bet that we will. <laughs> <laughs> shout out to yeah, the Loyola Warrior himself. Yeah, I got a lot of talent. Yep. No, I'm not sure what happened. Probably never know, but he had a lot of talent. There's a lot of hype coming around him when he's coming out of here in Mississauga. Yep. I mean, guy went to UCLA. He did. He's still cashing the check somewhere, though. Yeah, I'm sure he's probably playing Euro ball. Uh, you know what? That's for something worth looking up. I'm definitely going to look that up. Once Absolutely. This and eventually, that's what Yankovic is going to be doing, too. Let's not kid ourselves. Yeah. The Rainbow Warrior is going to be doing his Rainbow Warrior thing. Probably learning a Euro step while he's at it up in Italy or Spain or Israel. 
or somewhere there. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That'll wrap up this edition of the TOT Cast. As always, you can be sure to follow us on Twitter at Tip of the Tower, or you can like our Facebook page at Tip of the Tower. If you want to get on myself or Ryan, you can reach Ryan on Twitter at RyanGreco416, or you can reach me at Chrysokranitz. And feel free to leave us a review on iTunes. That's if you think we've earned it. Take care for now, and thank you for listening.